Hello everyone, this is Bola from CleverGirlFinance.com and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. So on today's episode, I'm bringing on a really good friend of mine. Her name is Dorian St. Fleur and Dorian is an incredible career coach and strategist out of New York City and also the founder of the amazing platform YourCareerGirl.com and Dorian coaches women on how to identify and use their purpose in order to have a fulfilling and financially fruitful career. And the thing I really love about the way Dorian coaches women around having the career of their dreams is that her philosophy goes way deeper than just having a LinkedIn profile or having a good LinkedIn profile and attending networking events. And those things are important, but Dorian is more about helping you actually achieve the career of your dreams, helping you actually have that fulfilling career and helping you understand that your career is more than just a job that you go to. It's actually part of your life. And if it's such a big part of your life, then you want to have a career that makes you happy, that you're happy to go to, that you love, and that is paying you what you're worth. So on this episode, we talk about some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're job hunting, what to do if you feel like you're in a job that's going nowhere. She breaks it down exactly what you can do to get out of that space. We talked about the right way to go about negotiating your salary and negotiating your raises. And I even share my experience with asking for more in my career. I share my failures, um, you know, things that I didn't do. And then I shared what I learned in terms of how I started to ask for more and how I determined what my worth and my value was. And Dorian kind of walks through that as common mistakes that women make when it comes to their career. So this is definitely an episode that you want to listen to if you are in a career or about to get into the job force or you are looking to switch careers. Like wherever you are in terms of your working career, this is an episode that you want to listen to. But before we get into this awesome episode with Dorian, I would love for you to subscribe to this podcast if you love what you're listening to. Tell your friends about it, leave a review, spread the word, and let's get more people listening. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and you can also listen to episodes and watch videos on the Clerical Finance YouTube channel. And if you're in that space where you need some extra help when it comes to working on your finances and you want to be part of a community of like-minded women who are doing really big things with their money, then I encourage you to check out my accountability program at clevergirlfinanceacademy.com. So let's get into this episode with Dorian. Welcome to the podcast, Dorian. I am excited to have you on here. Um, Not only are you a super career expert, which you're going to tell us all about, you are my IG buddy, but you're also my friend in real life. How awesome is that? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for having me, Bola. I'm really excited to be here. So I'd love for you to tell the ladies who are listening a little bit about you and about your career progression. How did you get started with your career girl? Awesome. Well, um, I always start like way back <laughs> in the beginning, which is like uh, 2005 when I first graduated from college. And I, at that point had HR was not on my radar. Your career girl was not on my radar. I actually graduated thinking that I was going to be in finance. Um, I fell into finance and the operations division um, at a Fortune 500 company, um, Goldman Sachs. It was there for a few years um, and then realized that, hmm, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. This is not using my strengths. This is not utilizing, you know, just anything that I wanted to be doing. So um, I enjoyed the company. Um, and I was doing well there and they enjoyed me. And so we tried to figure out how I can do some sort of internal mobility so that I could stay there, but be doing something more in line with my strengths and kind of what my ultimate career goals were. 
Um, it turned out to be HR, which I still don't understand how that happened because <laughs> I've had no HR experience before that. Like I like I took some classes at NYU and in intro to HR, but nothing nothing really heavy. Um, but I was able to transition. I got an HR generalist role um, at the company, and I never looked back. Um, and during that time, even before I transferred to HR, but especially when I got to HR, it got really apparent that I enjoyed career. I enjoyed, you know, development and progression and personal development. I helped people. I was like that go-to person to proofread a resume or to practice your interview before you actually went on it. And so it was, these things always just came naturally to me. Um, and I figured out how I could not only continue to develop my career, but then turn this into a business, which is kind of where your career girl came from. About two years ago, I decided to really focus on helping women navigate their career, navigate the whole HR you know, process. A lot of people who are not in HR, they're not sure how to deal with HR. Is HR the enemy? What should they do? Um, how can they, you know, what they can do to, to progress in their career? So for all of those reasons, I really wanted to structure a business that helps women just really tap into their purpose tap into their strengths and do what it is that they're meant to do. So that's kind of the foundation and the the start of your career, girl. Mm -hmm. And then you also had your own personal successes because you were able to get some major salary increases by using your skill on yourself. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. I, you know, throughout my career, I've been able to get salary increases. The most recent one was for $25,000. I've gotten promotions. I've negotiated, you know, assignments and projects for myself. I was tasked to move to Salt Lake City, Utah and build out a team there. So I've done a lot um, in my career. I'm really proud of the accomplishments that I've had. And I use those experiences as well as my training in HR um, and my coaching, you know, practice and experience to really help other women do the same. So let's kind of dive into into the whole, I guess, what folks should be doing, what women specifically should be doing around their careers. And I know that I've been guilty about, I've been guilty of doing things like leaving money on the table, not negotiating, not asking what I'm worth, being too shy to ask, being afraid to ask and things like that. And what would you say are some of the biggest mistakes that women make when they are looking for a new job? The biggest mistake I think women make um, is just really not having a strategy. So they know that they don't like their job and they're like, you know, I've been here. I don't like my boss. I don't like my coworkers. I don't like anything about this place. I'm leaving. And then they just start getting on this process. Okay, let me fix my resume. Let me put it on, go to monster.com or whatever. I'm going to apply for new jobs. And they don't take a step back and think about, all right, it's not so much what you're running away from, but what are you actually looking to move towards? Like what's your, what do you actually actually want? What does the new job look like? What, what, roles and responsibilities do you want to have? What kind of manager do you work well with? What kind of teams do you work well with? Like they don't sit down and think about, let me be strategic about this process so that I'm not repeating the same mistakes and I'm not going to be there three months, six months down the line and saying, hmm, I hate this job too. I'm ready to start this process over again. So I'd say the biggest thing that women need to do is really take a step back. I know it could be hard. I know it may be challenging. You're not liking where you are, but take a step back and think about what is it that I'm actually moving towards? What, where do I see my career in the next 12 months, 24 months? And then what steps do I need to take to make sure that I'm getting there? Make this be a strategic process instead of frantic and frazzled and I'm running away from where I am now. That's really important, having the strategy. And your strategy could include things like maybe taking a certification to get you 
the skill you need for that next job or even planning out, like doing your research in terms of when you do get that job interview, how do you approach the interview? So things like what are they earning? What is the, what is the average salary like for that position? What is the company culture like? And that I find that a lot of people don't necessarily always do those things. They get to a point where like, I hate my job, I'm quitting. Um, or they take the the first thing that jumps at them mm-hmm. that might, might not necessarily be right for them. And then they're back in the cycle of, I hate my job, I hate my job. Exactly, exactly. Advice. And, you know, we think of, and if people do think of some sort of strategy, then they probably leave it as, you know, I want to make this amount of money. So, you know, how do I get to this amount of money? Or, you know, my boss, I want to get have this certain type of boss. So that's kind of like the tip of the iceberg. You talked about company culture being one of those things. And to me, that's more important than the money, than the boss, et cetera. The culture is what it's like, how do, what are the norms? Like what are the rules? How do people act in certain situations? What kind of vibe do you get? And day in and day out, the company culture is what really, it determines how you feel at work. It determines how people act towards you. So you really should be thinking, of course, your salary is important. And I talk a lot about negotiation and all of that, but also think about the culture. Think about what kind of place do you want to be? You know, where are you going to thrive? What sorts of things do you need in a company to really feel like you're a good fit to be there? Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent because I've been in positions when I was working full time where I hated my boss. I hated my team. And I actually took a pay cut to move to another part of the company um, because I wanted to get away from that team and from what I was doing. But to me, because I was so, I realized that the culture was so much more important than the money, like that pay cut, I didn't mind it because I knew that when I got to this new position, if I loved it, which I ended up loving, I was going to put myself at my full potential with people Mm -hmm. that I liked at a job that I I liked. And I would be able to recover that um, pay cut I took, which I did. So I definitely have to agree with you that company culture is really important. I think people take that for granted, but if you can't stand the people you work with, you're going to want to get the heck out of there and you're going to realize that money is not everything. <laughs> exactly. I know. That's and people, different. they roll their eyes when, when, when I say that, you know, it's not all about the money. They're like, well, easy for you to say, cause you're making the money that you want. But it like, it, I, I, I just cannot even stress that enough. You spend one third of your adult life at work. You're there. You're with those people more than you are with the people in your home. Mm-hmm. So you should enjoy them. You should, you enjoy what you're doing. You should enjoy who you're with. So definitely can't agree with that more. Absolutely. So what about if you love your job, you love your boss, you love everything, except the fact that you are in a dead end position, you are not going anywhere. And your boss has told you, listen, this is it. I mean, maybe your boss hasn't told you, but you've kind of like got the indirect signals, like stop asking because you're not getting. What Mm -hmm. should you do? Then it's time for you to, you know, make that hard decision. Look, not every single person wants to become, you know, the the executive or wants to go into the C-suite and wants to do all of that. And if that's you, then that's totally fine. But if that isn't you, if you do want to progress and you do want to get promoted and you do want to lead a team and become a manager, then you need to ask yourself the hard question. Like if, if it's if where you are is not going to afford you those opportunities, then 
are you ready to leave? It's time to really take a, a strong look at yourself and be honest. And if the answer is yes, you're ready to leave, then put you need to put your plan in place to figure out what do you want and what do you need to do to get there? Is it, you know, networking? Is it getting that certification? Is it going to a different part of the same company? Is it going into a company, a new company altogether or, you know, changing industries, whatever it is, but it starts with being honest with yourself. And if you're in a dead end job, either financially, there's no, you've hit a ceiling and there's nowhere, there's no other way for you to earn more or, developmentally, you know, there's just not any other opportunities. No one is leaving. You've hit that ceiling. Then it's time for you to put your plan in place to figure out what the next move is and how you get to that next space. That's very true. And like you said, not everybody wants to be a VP or an executive at their company. Some people are okay being manager. They're okay being senior manager. But if you are listening and one of your goals is to progress in your company, I'd say that one of the mistakes I made when I was um, just starting up my career was the fact that I was a great worker. Um, every time I got a performance review, I was always exceeding expectations. I always got the maximum raises. But one thing that I didn't do was I didn't network within my company and with my within my peers or within my senior executive level. So I made friends with my peers, but I never went to the networking events. I never um, put myself out there at big meetings. And as I got... Um, as I got more experience working, maybe like five years later, it became something I was comfortable with networking with this, you know, the heads of departments and the the executive layer in my company. But in those early stages, I didn't. And I feel like just given the fact that I was doing such an excellent job, because I was, <laughs> given the fact that I was doing such an excellent job, if I had added on that net networking, I would have progressed at a much faster level because I saw it happen in front of my eyes with some of my peers who were... They were not even nearly, you know, as vested in their work as I was, but because they had started maintained relationships with like, you know, VP of this and um, senior director of that, they, when that promotion pool or promotion conversation came up in that level, their names were in that bucket. Or when that um, conversation came up about who do we give this high visible, um, project to their name came up because they were maintaining those relationships and by maintaining those relationships you're getting you're you're allowing your seniors or your executives to get to know you to get to like you to get to trust you and that's really really key so if you are in the space where you're trying to grow in your position and you know you're doing a great job do more than just do a great job get out and network and that's something that I wish I had done earlier um, in my career yeah, this is like the secret sauce, like the, between those people who they do well and they, you know, they're, they're, they're still getting paid and they're still getting promoted. But then those people who, like you said, add on that layer of networking, you see a huge difference in the trajectory, not only how fast they move up, but just how far they move mm-hmm. up. So, and I know it's, it's not comfortable. Like it's not comfortable for me to network with people that I don't know, or I don't feel like I have something to relate to with them, but I understand that it's important. So I found a way to make it more 
you know, comfortable for me. So am I going to go out into a networking event and just go mingle around the room and, and, and have small talk with people? No, that's just not me. It's not what I'm going to do, but I can put 30 minutes on an executive's calendar one-on-one, um, and have some coffee. I can do that. One-on-one conversations work well for me or in a meeting where I see that I'm, you know, sitting around a a bunch of executives, I can speak up. I can think about what I'm going to say and have a really thoughtful conversation or a thoughtful thing to add to the conversation that allows them to keep me in mind. Um, and being in HR, I am, I am in these conversations of promotions with managers all the time. And while yes, they do look at everyone and they do have to be fair and all of that, but the people that they're speaking highly of and singing their praises are the people that they've gotten to know, like, and trust, like Mm -hmm. you said. Um, and so it doesn't, it, it just, I, it's just, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't give yourself the opportunity to build relationships with people and not just your boss or people in your like managerial chain, but think outside of the box, talk to people in other departments and mm-hmm. other groups. You want to build a, as wide a network as possible. And if you don't feel comfortable, if you're an introvert or if you're shy or reserved, there's many ways to network. It's not just the overwhelming um, way. So you can find a way that works well for you and just work it and stick to it and really focus on building your relationships. Yeah, and that one-on-one conversation is so key. Any executive will will can spare 15 minutes or 30 minutes to talk to you. And I remember when I started getting more comfortable with networking, every time I moved to a new team or I moved to a new job, I would make sure I had a 15-minute one-on-one with every single executive, my boss, my boss's boss, my boss's boss's boss. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being in a meeting with um, my boss's boss's boss, and we were having a conversation and he was like um, talking about how he started working at the company before I was born. And it was funny. And he's like, you know, <laughs> most people would not have the nerve to tell me I want to have a conversation with you. Because <laughs> I was like, yes, I want to know what are your expectations? He's like, you should talk to your boss who is like three levels down from where I am. <laughs> but it's all about, you know, they're human beings. When you talk to them, they when mm-hmm. you see them walk by the hallway, they seem intimidating. But to this day, that guy is one of my mentors. And it's because I established that relationship. And the other thing is that I'm also a shy person. I consider myself a faux extrovert, which means I put on this mask to do this podcast. I put on this mask <laughs> to do my Instagram lives because if you really know who I am, you, yeah, you kind of know. But anyway, one of the things I would do is at the Christmas parties, at the the dinners and all that stuff, before I would attach myself to my peers, you know, mm-hmm. and we'd be there talking about, oh, I hate that boss. I hate this boss. But then... <laughs> I got to the point where I was like, damn that. I'm not staying here in this position with all of you. I'm going to go network so I can get promoted, so I can get raises. So I would attach myself to my boss. Mm-hmm. And my boss obviously was networking with his own pairs and also right. his his higher ups. And so just by virtue of tagging along with him, he was, oh, and by the way, this is Bola. She works for me. And mm-hmm. he would make those introductions on my behalf. And because he liked what I was doing... Um, you know, they loved what I was doing in my job. They would say, and she's working on this project and she's done X, Y, Z. So even if you don't feel comfortable making those introductions, attach yourself to someone who, who can make them for you. And if you're doing a great job, then your your boss is a great catalyst to help you start those conversations. And you don't even have to tell them. Just go attach yourself to them at the party and be like, hey, hi. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really, really good point. And just something I'll add to that is that 
these people want to, you know, be advocates for people, especially for women. Like they want that. But so many people are intimidated. So many, so many people don't even ask themselves the questions or wouldn't attach themselves, you know, at the company party that, there's just this, there's just wide open space. Like there, there's definitely opportunities for you to attach yourself to executives. Um, like I literally, like I'm speaking from firsthand experience. I just put some time on, um, the president of my company's calendar. Um, and I'm sure not many people are doing that. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm at a director level. So I think he's like two or three levels above me. I'm sure people are not doing that. Um, and so, you know, he accepted it. Like we're, we're, we're on to, to talk and to chat. I don't know what I'm going to be talking to him about, but <laughs> I'll cross that bridge when I get there. But the point is like these people, they're humans, like you said, and they do want to talk to you and they do want to, you know, just network and learn about what's going on in, in the different levels at the company. So just take all of the fear out, you know, the intimidation that may be there, just try to put that to the side and really think about how you can leverage these relationships to move forward in your career. And even if you don't get the chance to network with these people, if you ever happen to be in a meeting with them and you know something that that layer doesn't know, speak out. Mm-hmm. Because there are many times when I had been in executive meetings and the typical, the norm is that if you're like a low level nobody, you're quiet in the back. But sometimes they would bring up information that I was working on and I knew what they were talking about was based on inaccurate information. And I got to the point where I was like, oh, excuse me, actually... <laughs> And while it was, you know, they would all pause and look at me like, who are you? It actually caused them to remember me. Mm-hmm. And they would see me. And if they were having lunch, hey, Bola, come sit at this table. Tell us about what you do. You know, tell us about college. Ha ha ha. I went to college 30 years ago. And it, it just <laughs> that small talk keeps you on their mind. And so that's mm-hmm. important. So, Dorian, I wanted you to dispel some myths around salary negotiation. Mm -hmm. So on Instagram, I had posted something around when you get a job and you are presented with a number, a salary number. Not only should you negotiate that number, but if you get to like a a wall, because sometimes they just won't budge, you can negotiate other things, right? You can negotiate your vacation days, your when you get promoted, some benefits, et cetera, working from home. And someone responded that that's actually not true because most companies would not allow that. And I actually disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want you to talk about not just negotiating your salary, but what other things should people be, should women be negotiating? Because as women, we leave a ton of money on the table. And I know that you and I have had this conversation offline that HR, they, they don't give everybody the same, here's the same $50,000. They, they offer you based on what they think the lowest price they can get you for, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't negotiate, then you leave money on the table, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So whoever that person was who said that that's not true, probably just never negotiated for themselves or if they did they sucked and they didn't get what they wanted so that's why they're saying that as someone who has been in HR for a long time it is possible to negotiate those things um you can so salary obviously is when you when you first of all when you think about like compensation you should be thinking about it holistically it is not just your salary it's bonuses it's overtime it's you know benefits it's 401k matching there's so many things that go into um compensation And while Mm -hmm. some things are set, like if the company is matching everyone at 4% 401k, you can't negotiate 7%. No, honey, you're not going to get that. So certain certain things are set, right? (laughs) And like 
your your copay for your benefits is set with the program, whoever it is. So there's certain things that are there. However, you can negotiate a flexible work arrangement. If you want to work from home a couple of days a week or you don't want to have a standard start and stop time, you can negotiate those things. If you, you know, are starting a new job and you have, let's say everyone has, you know, 14 days of PTO and you already have a vacation that was, that was due, you can negotiate, you know, taking that vacation, but letting it not count towards the standard PTO time because it was already booked and blah, blah, blah. You can be creative and think about what you would like to, to negotiate. I've seen people get promoted at faster rates than the rest of the company. I've seen people get sign-on bonuses when other people haven't. I've seen people... Mm -hmm you know, get raises, so many things um, that you can do. It's about one, your positioning. So you have to be quote unquote worth this. So throughout the hiring process, you better have shown how much value you're going to bring to the table and what your contributions are and why you deserve all of these things that you're asking for. But then also do your research. You cannot go into a negotiation blindly and just kind of throwing out numbers and throwing out all these lists of demands, but do your research and see what, what do their competitives offer? Do their competitives, their competitors offer things that, you know, would, you would be more enticed. It'll be more enticing for you to go to those places. Like really try to think outside of the box when you're coming up with your, your negotiation strategy. But those things are definitely, Definitely, definitely on the table. And mm -hmm. you should, I don't care what it is. If you apply for a job and they tell you, yeah, we'll give you a million dollars, you should still negotiate for like a million and one. Like don't ever take the first number, the first package there. Um, obviously you want to negotiate within reason and do your research, but they're expecting you to negotiate. They expect you to come back and, and ask for things. And when you don't, you're leaving so much money on the table, not just your salary at that moment, but any bonuses you get are going to be a, fun a percentage of your salary. So if you didn't negotiate mm -hmm. that salary, then your bonuses inherently will be lower. Like you just kind of set yourself up, um, to always be catching up if you don't start off on the, on the right path. Yeah, because your bonuses are a percentage of your base. So Exactly. So let me tell you a story you'll be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> so before I quit my job to run Clever Girl Finance, um, I had... So I, I had basically transitioned into a new position. And I remember when I was interviewing for the position, um, I worked in the industry that had a steep learning curve and required a very unique skill set, which I had. And so I applied for this job. And the minute I had a conversation with my soon to be boss, I was like, I'm probably going to get this job because, you know, he was just so excited, talking about my resume, blah, 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 blah. And so when I went to the, this was on the phone, when I went to the in-office interview, I just asked the receptionist, I was like, because I hadn't asked my soon-to-be boss this question, I was like, so how long have they been trying to fill this position? And she said, two years. And I was like, you know what, girl, that's my kryptonite right there. That is, <laughs> you've been trying to fill this position for two years and I know I'm getting this job. So mm -hmm. as soon as I, I went to meet with my boss, he's like, you know what, I don't need to interview you because I love you. And he took me to the, all the other executives who wanted to meet me. And he's like, you're going to love her. You're going to love her. So I already knew at that point that I had the job. Mm -hmm. So when it came down to negotiation, they're like, oh, well, we offered 10 days of vacation. I was like, oh, well, you know what? I need at least three weeks mm -hmm. of vacation. <laughs> so I got three weeks of vacation when mm -hmm. the only people who get three weeks of vacation are people who have worked at the company for 10 years or more. Mm -hmm. I negotiated working from home 50% of the time. Awesome. And everybody, they had a, in parts of the company, they had a strict no work from home policy. 
I um I tried to negotiate on my salary, but I couldn't. But then I negotiated for my raise, mm. assuming mm-hmm. that I was going to meet my um uh the expectations for the review. I negotiated for my raise and for my bonus, and that was like. At that point, I mean, if it was me when I first started my career, I would never have been able to do that. Mm-hmm. But just learning about how these things work and knowing that if they really value you and what you can bring to the table, they will do what they can to keep you. And mm-hmm. just hearing the fact that that position had been open for two years, that was just like my... Yeah. That was... They don't, they don't, they would not want it, want to have to start this whole process over and go another two years trying to fill it. Um, and even if you don't, let's say someone doesn't have that insider information. Once you get a job offer, this is why I always teach people like, don't go in there from the gate talking about, all right, so I need my three weeks of vacation and, and all of this. Well, like, no, wait until I always use the analogy of like, you're dating someone. If you're this, this whole interview process, it's like the first few dates. You're not going to put all your business out there and show them you're crazy right there <laughs> in the beginning. So get to know this person, let them put a ring on it. And you know, that's the offer and say that they're ready to take this to the next level. And then you talk about what your demands are and what's <laughs> happening. So at this point, they've already invested time, energy, effort into you, and they want you to take this position. They don't want to start this process over. That's when you have the leverage to ask for the things that you want. So completely happy with that story. And it shows that all of those things are negotiable. Like someone would probably think, oh, I haven't worked at this company for 10 years. I can't get the extra, you know, vacation, but look, you were able to do that. These companies, there's certain, there's many things that are flexible and you can do it. And people kind of, they sell themselves short by thinking salary is the only thing I'll negotiate. And had someone do that, you said that you tried to negotiate salary and, and didn't get anywhere with that. So people would stop there, but you were like, all right, no salary. Let's talk about raise. Let's talk about PTO. Let's talk about working from home. There's so many things that go into this idea of compensation. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that you were able to negotiate all those things. And then the at the very, you know, the worst thing they can tell you is no. Right. We don't have that. We can't offer you that. And then what? Nothing happens. They're not going to kill you. They're not going to. They just can. They can just say no. Um, the analogy you gave, Dorian, reminds me of that Martin Lawrence movie. What's it called? A Thin Line. <laughs> Did the you ever see that? Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah, show you're like, crazy right away. Crazy at the beginning, like you know, make them make them fall in love, people. Come on. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. So, what would you say is your number one resume tip? My number one resume tip is to keep it simple. So, I've seen many resumes over my time in HR, and the ones that really do well are, you know, they're not these novels and trying to include every single piece of job information and every job you've worked and every task that you've had, but they <laughs> are simple. Like they just literally talk about these are the jobs I've had and these are the the high level accomplishments that I've made in these jobs. It's not about a laundry list of, all right, I get the copies and then I go to this person and then I give off this sign off. It's not about that. It's about what are the accomplishments that you've created? What is, what is your specific achievement, you know, contribution to the team? It's listing those things out, keeping it simple. It's a marketing tool. It's not the whole story. The interview process, you can go through your whole story and let them know who you are, but this should just be something to show them that, all right, this person has, you know, the aptitude for what I'm looking for. Let me invite them in. So just Mm -hmm. keep it simple and, but keep it, keep it simple, but keep it like potent. Like it should, like, it should talk about 
really strong examples about what you've, what you've accomplished and what it is you've achieved and show your potential, but it doesn't have to be this laundry list of two pages and three pages of every single job and every single task that you've ever done. And one tip that I got from, I don't remember where I got this tip from. Anyway, it was somebody told this to me and it was about how um, people in HR are looking at hundreds of resumes, Mm -hmm. thousands of resumes and you just don't want to overwhelm them, but you want to make sure that you're putting in what is relevant to the job mm-hmm. that you're applying for. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people can't be bothered. They're, you know, they're applied to a hundred million jobs <laughs> on Indeed every day with the same resume. Sometimes they send the same cover letter with another company's name to the other company. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that happen. Yep. <laughs> but I think, like you said, it goes back to the strategy. And what kind of job do you want to get into? And you also have to make the effort to make sure that you're being conscious of who you're applying to. You know, if the title says business analyst, don't put on their um, tech supervisor (laughs) (laughs) because that was the last job you applied to. So do your own due diligence when it comes to your cover letter and your resume and try to customize um, your resume to what you're applying to. Because I know a lot of people have, um, what's it called? They have their skill set can fit into different types of jobs. Mm-hmm. So why not have a resume for this kind of job and then this kind of job? That way you have two resumes that are customized depending on where you're applying to. And it just makes, as a candidate, I think it makes you look more, I guess, what is the word I'm trying to use? Interesting, attractive, yeah. attractive. And it makes you look more <laughs> relevant, like you said. Like the reason why people are overwhelmed with this idea of customizing resumes um, and, you know, writing a different cover letter is because they're applying to like 50,000 jobs. And if you're if you're doing this right, if you're really being strategic and you're like, you know what, I'm going to make my strategy and I'm going to think about what I'm good at and what I want to do, then you there shouldn't be 50,000 jobs that fit that criteria. I've, I've, had, com- I've had conversations with people um, that are, job hunting like friends of mine and it, I just found it so funny and it's like you're looking for a job so I'm gonna go to the bookstore today and my my goal is to apply to 75 jobs and I find it really funny because I've been that girl I've been in that space where I'm like you know what I hate this job I'm gonna go look for another job and I sit down and I apply to a hundred jobs and it really gets me nowhere <laughs> but, but at that point to be honest to be fair I think they were just over you know, they were just, they just wanted to get a paycheck, basically. <laughs> well, and the truth is me. that they, 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 for the most part, they wound up in a job that they hated. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Which I'm not surprised that that's the outcome. Job searching, if you're, if you're trying to find like a real job that is utilizing your strengths, your preferences, you have all the perks that you want, all those things, it's not going to be an easy process. It is not like, I I do talk about clients of mine who find dream jobs in three weeks and stuff like that, but know that that's the exception. That is not the norm, right? If you want to go through this process, it is going to take time. Um, but it's not, it's not going to be sit down and block off two hours and apply to 75 jobs. (laughs) That's not what it is. When I when I'm applying for a job, when I whenever I'm in an active search or I'm working with a client who is in an active search, it's about quality over quantity. I don't want to hear about oh I applied to 50 jobs today. I'm going to apply to another 25 tomorrow. It's going through this checklist that you've created for yourself, this strategy. Do these jobs hit those things? 
Is it in a company that you want to work in? Is it in an industry you want to work in? Do they have the benefits and the perks that you want? And that really, you know, slims down your list. So it's when you're doing it that way, then you find that you're applying to maybe five jobs over the course of this week. So you now have the time to customize that resume and write that cover letter because you're targeting your search and you're being strategic about it and not just applying all willy nilly all over the place. And Mm -hmm. then three months later, you're doing it again because you hate your job. So people do that, but it's just not, that's not the right way to do it. You, it's about quality. Um, and then you have the time and the energy to customize and it doesn't feel like such a task when you have to do that. One thing I wanted to add just from my personal experience is that when you are looking for a job, you also want to think about how it's going to fit into or enable you with the the bigger picture of your life. So for instance, I got a really amazing job, um, just when I got married and it was awesome. The pay was awesome. My team was awesome, but I knew that I wanted to have kids, but it wasn't something that I factored into when I was looking for my job. I didn't know if they had a maternity leave. I didn't know what their policy was. Lo and behold, my company did not have a maternity leave. And I found that out when I was pregnant and it was like, you have to use your vacation. You have to do this, that, that. And so I, you know, I, if I had known, I would have considered other jobs and maybe taken less money because maternity leave, and the benefits that come from that is when you add up the cost amount, it's a lot mm-hmm. of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found myself on a committee that it was an advocate for <laughs> maternity leave at my company. <laughs> and while, you know, because I was the, I guess, the introductory layer of it, um, while I was able to get some sort of maternity leave, I ended up taking um, paid vacation and then um, unpaid leave. Mm-hmm. But those are things to consider. So think about the long term. Yes, you might get a great salary, but what are the things you want to accomplish? So are you trying to find a job um, that you need to help pay for college, for example? Or, you know, you want to make sure your job has a solid maternity leave option in there. Just think about the big picture of your life when you're applying, when you're getting these offers and you're comparing and contrasting them so that you go with what works best for your long term. Yeah, I also I think that's a really good example. And I also talk to people about having like their list of non-negotiables. So there's no job that's perfect and there's Mm -hmm. no job that's going to have every single thing. But for me, there are like three or four things that any job that I have must have. Like, for example, I, you know, live in New York and most people you work in Manhattan, you kind of live outside of Manhattan. So I know there's some level of commute, but I cannot commute more than 60 minutes. If it's 61 minutes, I'm not working at your company. So (laughs) I know that for me, I have a threshold of how long I can be on that subway without losing it. So 60 minutes is my threshold and that's a non-negotiable and I have other things. And so when I work with people, it's about what are your non-negotiables? If maternity leave is one, then that's something you should think about. And even if you're not having a baby, if you're a woman or you're a person and eventually you know that that's something that you would want to have on your radar, then think about it. Like you said, look, think big picture, think long term and don't just be blinded by the glitz and the glamour of what's in front of you right now. But think about how does this all focus and in, factor into my life? So I think mm-hmm. that's really good advice. I mean, sometimes your non-negotiables... I don't know. So for instance, when when I was moving back to New York from living in Philly, um, I got a job six months before I was ready, but it was my ideal job. Like if I managed a job in New York City, uh, what it was going to be, it was going to be that job. So I took the job and they're like, oh yeah, you know, 8.30. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to be there. 
<laughs> but I wound up commuting from Philly to New York oh my every gosh. single day <laughs> oh for my six gosh. months. And it was a wear and tear on my soul. And you did that for six months? For six months. I would drive to the bus stop, take the bus for an hour, 45 minutes, go from the subway to my job and reverse back. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the second month, I was like, I can't do this. And so I went to my boss. I was like, listen, I live in Philly, yo. (laughs) (laughs) I need to work from home. Okay. Oh my gosh. So, but yeah, sometimes you have to, it depends on how, like, what is the opportunity and what mm-hmm. does it mean for your goals and for your life? So again, non-negotiables, but some, some things can be, some things should be negotiable. Like if, you know, I knew it was not going to be permanent. It was a six month thing. Mm-hmm. Luckily I was able to work from home on Friday. So that kind of knocked out a day of commuting. Um, but it was a worthwhile, it was worthwhile for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Doran, let's shift gears a little bit and let's t- tell me about your favorite career or just book that helps you be more productive with what you do. Um, my favorite book, I think it's, it's Deep Work and I think it's by Cal Newport, I want to say. And it really just focuses. It talks about like people and especially in this day and age, like we have so many things that are calling on our, our, on our attention, social media, family, and, you know, assignments and just so much things happening. And just the, the art of focusing on one thing at a time and giving it all of your mental energy and, you know, doing, putting your best effort towards it really changes how much you're able to bring to the table and how much you're able to accomplish. So I think after reading that book, I really just changed the way that I set up my day, the way that I set up projects that I want to do, you know, having a job, having a business, having a family, all the things that are calling on my attention, just really focusing on being present in what it is I'm doing and just really focusing and, and going into the state of flow and just really focusing on having, you know, just deep focus in the work that I'm doing has just like change the how much I'm able to accomplish and how and how good it is because people do you know accomplish things but then they look back at it and sometimes I would look back at things and be like this is so mediocre like (laughs) you could tell that I wasn't really focused when I was doing this so I really am just focusing on putting my best foot forward and really just focusing giving 100% to whatever it is that I'm working on um, at a time so I think that book really changed my idea of just being productive and, and getting things done. I struggle with that too. Sometimes, you know, I get distracted and I start going down rabbit holes on mm-hmm. things that were not even part of my initial plan for that day. And so I think I definitely need to get that book and start practicing some deep work. <laughs> <laughs> but I do some small things. Like, for instance, it just occurred to me that today my phone has been on do not disturb mode all day long, which means I haven't gotten a single phone call. And I was like, well, nobody has called me. I just thought about that when you're talking about deep work. <laughs> But that was by intention. So little things like that. Sometimes I'll turn off my email. Sometimes I take days off or weekends off from Instagram, even though I don't think people really notice. (laughs) But I do. (laughs) Um, Just so I I need to get that book to check it out. I'll put it in the show notes for those of you who are listening. Um, And what would you say is your Clever Girl superpower? My Clever Girl (laughs) superpower, I think... 
it's probably the first thing that came to mind was just never being satisfied. <laughs> but I don't mean that in the negative way that, you know, that could be. But like, I'm always looking to one up myself. Like if I was able to do something, you know, last year, mm-hmm. then this year I'm looking to do something even better. I'm looking to kind of push the envelope. And I know some of my friends and some people say like, so does this mean like you'll never be satisfied and you'll raise children who are never satisfied? And, <laughs> you know, yes, but not in not in a way where we're ungrateful or we're, you know, we're not happy for what life has given to us. But yeah, I, I, I'm never satisfied. I always want to push myself to the limits. And I want to, if I did eight things yesterday, I want to do nine things today. And I want to just keep, keep it pushing and really just pushing the limits of what it is that I'm able to achieve. And I think that's why I've been able to accomplish some of the things I've been able to accomplish Mm -hmm. in my life, because, you know, I'm not cool with being average. (laughs) I'm not cool with being mediocre. Like I'm always trying to push myself to the next level. Yeah, you're not settling. And not settling. That's really important. And for those of you who are listening, that should be a, a trait that you want to have. You don't want to settle for a situation. You always want to keep doing better, better than the better than the last time, all the time. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So this has been such a wonderful conversation, Dorian. I'm so I'm, I'm so glad that we finally got to have this conversation. I know we've had this on the yes, calendar. This is like all 2017. <laughs> I <making>. know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to do the podcast. Oh, well, I can't make it this day. Oh, my God, something happened this day. And it's like both of us. This has like been the, the most, the longest scheduled podcast. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad so we glad. got it done. And I'm yes, sure so. that the ladies who are listening are going to love this episode. So thank you so much. So before you, before I let you go, how can folks keep in touch with you? You can find me at yourcareergirl.com. I'm on social media everywhere as yourcareergirl.com, except for on Twitter because they are haters. So I'm yourcareergirl <laughs> underscore. But everywhere else, I'm just yourcareergirl on social media. Um, yeah, you can find me there. I'm on Facebook everywhere. So um, check out, check me out there. Say hello. I'm friendly. So always looking for new friends. That's where you can find me. Yeah, Twitter. There are haters. I someone someone set up a Clever Girl Finance account on Twitter, and they won't let me use it. And so I reported them, and the account is inactive. <laughs> <laughs> the account is inactive, but they won't give it to me. So it's like just there. I emailed the person who has your career girl as well. She hasn't been on there for two years. And I said, hey, can I please have this? And I haven't gotten a response. I didn't think about reporting them, though. Maybe I'll try that afterwards. Oh, I reported them because I got an email from Twitter saying your new account has been created. I was like, I did not create this account. I didn't have a Twitter account yet. What is happening? Mm. And then, yeah, so Twitter, give me my account, please. (laughs) (laughs) But this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Dorian. Thank you take and apply to your career regardless of where you are in your career so i do hope you enjoyed listening and if you did please subscribe itunes soundcloud stitcher and you can also listen to episodes on the clever girl finance youtube channel and you can subscribe there as well it is youtube.com slash clever girl finance thank you guys so much for listening and i'll be back again with a brand new episode soon